Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. In the book of Exodus, this is episode 10 of our journey. A couple more uh, still to go here, but um, as we have walked our way through this, um, I, I note a couple of things. Um, and the biggest thing I, I think is important for us to rehearse to ourselves is that the story of Exodus is our story. We are the people. In, in Old Testament times, God delivered um, his people through the sea and brought them in um, to the land. And as he was doing so, he was making them a new people. That's our story. God has delivered us through the watery grave, so to speak. He, he has delivered us through the place of death and danger. He has delivered us from our sin and from death as its consequence through the death and resurrection of Jesus in our place. And he has not, he is not only making you a new person, but he is making us collectively a new people. Their story is our story. So to the degree um, that we care about knowing kind of who we are and what God's doing in our midst, this is that moment right here. This is Exodus. Uh, it, their story is our story. So today uh, in chapter uh, 25 is where we're going to start. Um, it is very hodgepodgey today. I just want you to know on the front end, we're going to kind of hit and miss, hit and miss, da, 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 and kind of work our way through here uh, because this is a big chunk of text um, for this particular episode because we are talking about the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And so, uh, in fact, if, if you're under uh, 12 in here, just say the word tabernacle. A couple of you want to be under 12. I get that. That's Looking at you, kindergarten, Sunday school teacher. So, uh, so tab- tabernacle. That is, so it's an old word that, that just basically means tent. And, and the tent or the tabernacle also was the same pattern that they used to build the temple, which is why on the screen right now uh, it says temple also. Three things of, uh, three kind of introductory statements you need to know to make sure that everybody's on the same page here. Uh, first of all, this, this tabernacle, this tent, uh, it was the intersection um, of heaven and earth. It was the place uh, where God met his people and the people met God. They had a pillar of fire uh, at night. They had a pillar of cloud to lead them by the day. But this is the place where they got to hear from God and they got to speak to God. This is the intersection of heaven and earth. Previously, and we'll talk about this more in just a moment, previously there was another place where you could meet heaven, uh, where heaven met earth. It was called the Garden of Eden. Now we have a different place. Uh, we've got a, a tent, a tabernacle, a, uh, what would eventually uh, become a temple. Secondly, speaking of that, um, when you read all of the details connected to uh, the building of the tabernacle and the building of the temple, it is very what I would call Eden-esque in its design, uh, meaning what? The Garden of Eden? Um, was the place where God walked uh, with his people. So um, seven times uh, in this uh, particular uh, um, block of text here, seven times it says, and the Lord said, and it was. Does that remind anybody of anything else? Genesis chapter one, and the Lord said, let there be light, let there be, on and on. So th- this is a, it is, it is kind of patterned after, they're riffing off of um, uh, uh, th- this creation narrative because they want us to know, remind, they, the Bible wants us to remember this is the place where heaven and earth uh, meet. And then there's, you not only have that kind of language, um, but the very last command is about Sabbath. Again, does that ring a bell to anybody? Genesis 1. And at the very end, um, when it's all done, Moses looks out and says, boy, this is good stuff. And then he blessed the people. 
So discovering that something's good and then blessing them. Again, this is straight out of Genesis 1. This, these are the themes. This is the melody, if you will, uh, being played over again. Um, and then uh, uh, last thing on this Eden-esque part. Um, if you read some of the details, you get some crazy stuff in there. You like, you know, here's a hoop. I mean, make it here and make it uh, look like this or make it out of this kind of wood. And by the way, fashion some pomegranates. It says crazy stuff like that. Like fashion pomegranates. And you're like... I mean, out of all the things in the world to put up the pomegranates, like, I mean, you know, like an apple, an orange, a pear, a pomegranate. You know, all of these are just, uh, they're just, uh, they're, they're memories, they're points, they're symbols for us to go, this is about the garden. This is the place where heaven and earth intersect, where God meets his people and his people I meet God. And the last thing I'll say here. Is that, uh, and we'll talk, uh, we'll kind of unpack this in just a moment, but last thing I'll say is that it is a reminder. The tabernacle, this tent of meeting is a reminder that yes, very much so, God is different than you and me. But his difference does not equate to his distance. God creates for us a place to meet him. He gives instructions about how we are to meet him. If God were an introvert and wanted to go hide from all people, he would simply say, don't come around here. If he were um, the kind of God who would just spin you up into the world and then release you out into it and say, good luck, kids, you got 80 years. Hope, hope it goes okay. If he were that kind of God, we wouldn't have um, all of this text. We wouldn't have all of this teaching. We wouldn't have all of these patterns and all of these reminders. This is the moment where God says to his people, hey, look, boy, y'all, y'all are a big fat mess here. And everybody's clear on that. The, the world is not working as it's supposed to. I'm going to install a place where you can meet with me and I will meet with you. His difference Holiness, majesty, righteousness, justice, sheer goodness, and his steadfast love for his people does not mean that he is distant from us. He actually creates a place where his heart for relationship with his people and his people's response in relationship to him can happen. So with that in mind... Like I said, it's a little bit, uh, we're going to hop all over. Um, we're going to take it kind of in the order of the text. But I want to make sure that um, uh, we, we kind of hit all these. So first of all, um, the tabernacle is a place. It is a place. That's what you need to know. It is a place. Um, people could look to it. Um, in in uh, Old Testament Israel, they'd set it up in the middle of the camp. Um, they'd have all, all the tribes would be surrounding it. And, and you'd have the pillar of, uh, of cloud or the pillar of fire there. And so you had a place where you could look to. The people were not wondering, is God still with us? They had a place that represented that God was indeed with them. It was a very special place. We'll talk about that more in just a second. But it was also a place for them to gather and to be reminded about what was most important in their lives. Every so often, the people back then needed to gather and to be reminded about what was most important in their lives. Back then, they needed to be reminded, like there was a gathering and a place where they were reminded about what was most important in their lives back then. Back then. We don't need that today or anything, right? I'm just checking. Just making sure that everybody's on the same page back then, but here we are today. So church family, here's what I say to you. Uh, uh, the, the last 
20 or so months have gotten everybody out of rhythm and out of sorts. That's the truth. This is a good reminder for us. And let's be clear. This, this edifice that we sit in, I'm really, really grateful for. This is not the temple of God. But it is a good place for us to gather and be reminded about what is most important in life. This is not the temple. I mean, uh, this, this is a building. And it, just this week, we've had little kids running around in, in this particular place, like right here, right over here, as a matter of fact. They were throwing balls at one another in this particular building. On Friday, we had a wedding. Um, and there was a dance floor right out there in the middle, like right there, where y'all are sitting right there. And the wedding coordinator came up and asked me, she said, hey, this is a Baptist church, right? <laughs> yes, ma'am, it is. How are they going to dance? And I, being so full of wisdom and compassion for a genuine question, said, I think like this. I think they're going to do it this time. <laughs> People could look at it and be reminded, they had a place to gather and a reminder of what was most important. Church family, this, this has to be part of our rhythm. Okay, we need one another. We need to be together and we need to be uh, reminded of what's most important. Uh, secondly, it was a special place. It was different than all the other tents, okay? I mean, there were, there were other tents, but this was the most special. This was the tent of tents. It was the tabernacle. Uh, it was reflective of His holiness. And we'll talk uh, more about that in just a second. But you could see, uh, as things unfolded here, you see that, man, this is, this is a special place. This is a unique place. It is different than everything else. And so uh, there are seven components that uh, the text describes here. We're just going to take them in order. Um, again, here's our number seven. Uh, just a reminder. We're going to start in chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. Uh, and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. Uh, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I'll speak to you about all that I have uh, about all the commandments that I give to the people of Israel. So uh, here's a picture, um, a rendering, artistic rendering of the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. And uh, it starts first. Uh, it, it is the first um, item of the tabernacle described. And uh, typically in lists like this, you put the most important thing here. And so this was the most important. It contained uh, the Ten Commandments. It was a big box, about the size of the communion table. If you boxed it in back there, uh, roughly the size of that. If you're looking for exact things, it describes it in cubits here. I'll put it in normal inches. It's 45 inches long, not quite 4 feet, by 27 wide, by 27 high. Does that help everybody, all you engineers? You got a picture? Okay, you're good. Um, there, there are um, uh, poles on the side. Uh, it is gilded. It is covered in gold all the way around. On the top of that box, set this lid. Um, there's two um, uh, angels in cherubim that were fashioned uh, there. And it is from kind of where their wings sit. Right there, kind of in the middle, there on top. God says, I will be there. And it is from that place that I will speak to you. So why in the Sam Hill, then, would you call it the mercy seat? That's what he called it here, the mercy seat. Well, why not call it the power seat, the authority seat, the speaking seat, the judgment seat? Whatever. I mean, why not call it those things? Here's why, church family. Anytime the God of the universe speaks to his people, you know what it is? It's mercy. Because we don't deserve it, and we typically don't hear it very well, 
Anytime God speaks, it's mercy. And so this is the moment where God would speak to his people and it's mercy. And this became a relic for some and it was used and misused because we're jacked up people just like the people of the Old Testament. We're messing. This became a thing. But, but you need to know that God's intent in setting it out was for it to be the special place that contained God's word. And from that place, God would speak to his people. Some people ask about, uh, it, it, just pause here. Uh, it is inside the Holy of Holies. So it is like the innermost part here of the, the tabernacle. And this is where it said, and some people ask, hey, well, you know, what do you think happened to the Ark of the Covenant? That kind of thing. Uh, did it go to Ethiopia? Did Indiana Jones actually discover it? Like what happened? And the answer is, I have no idea. No, not a clue. Uh, but, but I do know this. If, if God sent it away or destroyed it or whatever, it would be probably because uh, we have a tendency um, to make idols out of relics. So if it doesn't exist anymore, it may be because um, we, we tend to take a physical thing like that and go, Oh, God's really on our side, as if the death and resurrection of Jesus wasn't enough. Ark of the Covenant, that's number one. Number two, in chapter 25, verse 30. Um, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. So we had a, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the second uh, picture rendering, if you will, up here, is this table of showbread is what it's called. It was inside the holy place, which is the second, uh, kind of the middle chamber here. And uh, on a regular rotation, uh, bread was brought um, to, to set on this table. We'll talk about why here in a little bit. And again, if you're looking for dimensions, just for all you Nerds in here, uh, 36 uh, inches long, three feet long, uh, a foot and a half wide, 18 by 27 high. Okay, so just so you're keeping track at home, that's where all of that is. Uh, this is the table of showbread and fresh bread uh, was put on it on regular basis inside the holy place, kind of that middle section. Also inside the holy place, that middle um, section was the lamp in chapter 25, verse 37. Um, you shall make seven lamps for it, uh, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light to the space in front of it. So um, you've got this lamp that is inside the holy place giving light to the area there. There's special oil uh, that gets mixed up uh, to be burned there uh, on the wicks. And so just like this is happening, it I, again, I know, it doesn't actually give dimensions. So if you're writing all this stuff, it doesn't give those dimensions. All of that stuff will be on the notes we'll post online. I'm just telling you, like, um, this was also uh, in the holy place. The next thing that he describes in chapter 26 is actually the tabernacle uh, itself. And uh, he says in chapter 26, verse 1, Moreover, uh, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine, linen, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns. Make them with cherubim skillfully uh, worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, so 42 feet, 42 feet long. The breadth of each curtain, four cubits, six feet wide, 42 by six. All the curtains shall be the same size. And basically what the rest of it just goes to where the curtains kind of fold up and over these stands that are on and they connect there. And so that it forms uh, this tent area called uh, the tabernacle. That's the picture on the left side. There are further instructions in chapter 26 uh, for the picture on the right side because there was a um, 150 by 75 foot complex that was the tabernacle complex. And this kind of fence area, seven and a half foot high fence, formed the uh, the, the kind of uh, boundary uh, of that complex. Okay, so that's, that's kind of what you see here as being described there. Um, fifthly. 
in chapter 27, uh, verses 1 and 2. You shall make the altar out of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. So you had an altar, a place of sacrifice. This is where the... Um, this is where when you brought your offering for sin or your burnt offering of other, when you brought an animal, this is where that would happen. And it is outside. It's not inside the tent. It's in the little courtyard area uh, because you don't want to go burning stuff inside of a little tent. I'm not thinking that's a good plan at all. Um, I don't know much about offering sacrifices in that way, but I'm saying that's probably not a good plan. It's in the courtyard. Um, and then in chapter 30, skipping over. Just a couple more components here. I want to touch them all. In, in chapter 30, uh, let's see, verse 7. It says this, um, And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it every morning when he dresses the lamps. He shall burn it. So here you've got an altar of incense. It's inside the holy place, that kind of middle section again. And uh, that incense is being uh, burned um, up to God. And then the last component that is described is in chapter 30, verse 20. Uh, and it's when they go into the tent of meeting, when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may be clean and not die. So you've got a basin full of water that the priests wash themselves in. Okay, so that's that's those are the big seven uh, components there. Here they are all put together uh, on this little rendering, uh, this little map thing of the tabernacle. Here we go. You ready? See? So you'd come in from the east. That's what we're looking at. You'd come in from the east. The very first thing that you would encounter would be um, uh, the altar for sacrifice. Then the basin uh, for cleansing. Uh, then you see the um, kind of yellow rectangle there. That's the tent itself. Uh, the other stuff is in the courtyard. Uh, inside that first block there, uh, you've got um, the lampstand with the oil. You've got the altar of incense. And you've got the table of the uh, of bread. And then the little purple line there is the veil, and then the Ark of the Covenant uh, sits on the inside. Everybody got that picture in their brain? When you walked through uh, the tabernacle, like if you were to start on the uh, far east, you'd enter into the complex, and you would encounter them kind of in this area, uh, excuse me, in this, in this way. And that's important because um, not only was the tabernacle a place, but God, in doing so, had prescribed a process of worship for his people. Uh, it prescribed a process. And so let, let me describe that process. Uh, it began with sacrifice. The first thing that you encountered was what? The altar. That was the very first thing you encountered the altar. So worship began with sacrifice. And then the next thing that was encountered was uh, the, the, the basin where you would receive cleansing or forgiveness. And as you moved further, um, further in, you stepped into the holy place where you would encounter the bread and the um, incense and, uh, and the lamp. So you would have the bread, God's word. You would have the incense, the prayers of the saints. This is how the Bible talks about um, the prayers of the saints. It rises up to God like incense. And any time in the Old Testament you had um, oil, you, you, it is a symbol of uh, it is a symbol of the Spirit and His work. And so you've got bread um, for the word, uh, incense for prayer, and the Spirit, the oil of the Spirit there. And you have in, through the activity of those things. If you kept moving forward, then you. Um, would see the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, you would encounter, you would have an encounter with God himself. This, this was the process that was described. So sacrifice, 
led to cleansing, led to the activity of the word and the prayer and the spirit, and then an encounter uh, with God. And that seems like a pretty applicable process for all of us for all of us here. So um, I, I want to say a couple of things about that. I'm reading a book right now about passing faith down through the generations. Um, one of the key insights from Christian Smith, the guy who wrote it, uh, or one of the authors, um, he said this, that most people, when you survey them, uh, and I just, I, I want to set this before us as a church family. Most people, when you survey them and you talk to them about why they bring their kids to church, they say, we want our kids to be good people. And let's just say, yes and amen, let's have some good people. I mean, yes, we want our kids to be good people. I would so much rather my kids be good people than bad people. That is true. But, but just, I mean, look at the terminus here. Look at the very last thing. Like, what is the point? It is to encounter, God, we want our kids to grow. The reason we bring them to a place like this, with people like this, is yes, I mean, moral formation is important. But let's be clear, what's better for them and what is more important for them and what will be more lasting for them is for them to meet God. And that's what we want, is for our kids to meet God. And out of that relationship, yes, their morals will be formed. Yes, things will come along and be built into them and some things will be removed from them. Yes, all of that is true. But what we want for them is what we want for us through a sacrifice, receiving cleansing and forgiveness, through the activity of the word and prayer and spirit. They meet God. May it be so for all of us here. Second thing I want to note here, and I, I, I was just thinking about it this week, as they think about that process and all that kind of stuff, um, it didn't really describe or delineate um, who had to go through this process. This process was for everybody. Meaning what? Meaning if you had a bad day, this was still your gig. If you were riding the clouds, man, mountaintop stuff, this was your gig. And so some people step into today, they step into a moment like this, a moment of worship. And they're riding high, mountaintop, and they're like, man, let's clear some space here. Excuse me, you need to scoot a couple chairs down. Oh, are you social distancing? No, I'm about to throw a worship fit. And so just move out of the way here because there's some shouting and some clapping and some get down that's about to get down right here. And so last week, some of you, Amanda was right over here. She started singing about putting her trust in Jesus and... um how he will never let her down. And there was something that rose up in her and rose up in you. And you can go back and listen to it um, on the tape. Man, the place just erupted as we sung and confessed that together. You're like, clear some space. I need to have a moment here. That's good. Some of us, though, didn't come in riding like that. Some of us... You, you came in limping. And the sacrifice that you offer is not like, okay, God, this you are. The sacrifice you offer is, God, I'm here today. And the best I have to offer is this little bitty faith that you're actually going to meet me and do something. I'm bleeding out, man. I'm hurting. I drug my carcass in here, and if you don't speak, I will not live. Lazarus will stay in the grave. We'll meet the Red Sea, and it will swallow us. So, God, I'm here, and this is my sacrifice of praise. 
you're worth me being here. That's all I got. And so some who come in on the top, man, amen. And some who come in on the bottom, amen. God is still worth it in both ways. Some come and it's noon outside and the air is crisp and it's sunny and gorgeous. out. I mean, just amazing. Like the two good weeks of weather we have here in Houston TX. Man, you're just amazing. You're like, oh God, you, that weather represents my life and where I am right now. Some of you are coming in and you're like, man, it is hurricane season. It's dark outside. It feels like midnight and I have no idea how I'm going to make it. And the process is the exact same for both. We don't get to worship God in the way that we want. We get to worship God in the way that he says. Um, let, last thing I'll say about this is that th- this entering in wasn't just for everybody. Not everybody could do this. You had a special guy described in chapters 28 and 29. He was a priest, and this particular guy is the high priest. And when you see this guy right here, you think to yourself, uh, cool, Halloween's around the corner. That's not what you think. You think to yourself, what is going on? He had a breastplate with the 12 uh, stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He had a, a turban, kind of like a crown that sat on his head. So he was part priest and part king, prince, whatever. So you had this kind of thing working here. And he was the one who would represent uh, the people before God. And, and so you, there was a, a sense in which you had to be dressed appropriately for this. Now, church family, let's, let me just be clear here. I am not talking about physical clothes here. We don't have church clothes or church clothes policy around this joint. Um, I actually got the question earlier today, just um, at, right before the 830 service. Hey, uh, your team won yesterday. Why aren't you wearing your Baylor gear? And I said, very simply, this was clean. I just grabbed it. And this was, so this is the... So, so some of you think, like, i got to get dressed. No, 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 listen. Uh, what the kind of clothing that we're talking about doesn't really have to do with what we're physically wearing, but what we are spiritually clothed with. Isaiah 61 says that God will wrap us in a robe of righteousness. And we need that in order to encounter him. Last thing. There's a place, there was a process, and here's the thing. Uh, there, there, third P, there, there is a point. There is a point to all of this. And, and here's what I would say about this. Number one, we do not have a place. We don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a temple. We don't. We don't have a place to go and do what God said. And secondly, we cannot fulfill the process because to my knowledge, nobody brought in incense. We didn't have an altar built out front. I mean, there, there, we cannot fulfill the process as it is uh, prescribed here. What we do find, though, is that we need a representative to go in for us. Good news. We have a representative who has gone in for us. We have someone who has stepped in to the temple and made a sacrifice, not of a bull or goat or something. He stepped in and made a sacrifice of himself for you and for me. His name is Jesus. And the temple veil, when Jesus died on the cross in our place and for our sins, the Bible says the temple veil, that thing that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the thing that, that um, made sure that the, the people knew, oh, you can't go in there. The temple veil was torn in two. There was not a single thread of part A connected still to part B. It was completely torn in two from top to bottom. Don't miss that because God was peeling it back to say, listen, out of all the things that are true in the world, this 
is what is most true, I now have made a way for you and I to connect, for you and I to relate to one another, for you and I. There has been a representative who has stepped in on your behalf. And his name is Jesus. He has accomplished all of this for us. A sacrifice he has made that brought our cleansing so that we can have the word and prayer and spirit active in our lives so that we can meet him. And now you and me, praise God, you and me, we are the temple of God. This, this place, it's great. I like it. But this is not the temple. You, you and I are the temple. The Bible says that when we put our trust in Jesus, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And then we collectively, as all little temples, as we're collected together here, we then are the temple of God. Let me show you. Um, it says 1 Corinthians 3.10. That's a typo on my part. It's actually 1 Corinthians 3.9. But just listen here, if it's not uh, if it's not right there in front of you, First Corinthians chapter three, verse nine. Then we're going to read a passage from verse six. Look at verse nine. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. And then he switches metaphors. You are God's building, God's temple, God's dwelling place. You are the place that is holding God Almighty. Now, s- skip over to chapter six, verse nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Uh, You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So you, as an individual believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is taking up residence inside of you right now, giving life, Paul says in Romans 8, giving life to your mortal body. So your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Take good care of it. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we collectively gather together in moments like this, we are God's temple. We are the church. And some of you think, oh, uh, not this guy, not this temple. No, no, no. no. Some of you think, um, man, not, not, no. The, the, the God who is would not want this temple. Like, a, he'd be better staying behind the veil in the Holy of Holies than catching this guy right here. Have you watched any baseball? We have one single person in this room right this second who's happy about yesterday's outcome. He shall, two. Because the other one is married to the one. They shall remain nameless, but they're sitting right here. And uh, I know, I know. I know. Uh, the, the, the Braves beat the Dodgers last night on a walk-off deal. And uh, the third baseman, as, as this was all going down, third base coach standing there, you know what he was doing? He, he wants that guy. Ball goes out in the left field. What's he doing? Now, for all of you who are not baseball certified, tell me, when the third base coach does this, what does this mean? Come on home, baby. Let's go. Come on. Truck it. Get going. Sometimes they jump up and down and wave arms, you know. And this is the stop signal. There wasn't any of that, man. This guy, full-on rotator cuff tear in his left arm as he's making this magic happen. 
some of you need to be reminded that that's exactly what God is saying today. Go home. Come on home. The whole point of the tabernacle is for you and I to encounter a God who has pursued us and now he's standing there coming like this. Come on home, baby. Come on. You'll be safe there. Come home. He's waving you in. And for all your junk and for all your baggage and for all your stuff and all your screw-ups and all the darkness that still resides in you, all the opinions that you wish you didn't have but are still there, all the things that you've tweeted out or said on Facebook, all the stupidity that you have actually embraced or thought about embracing, for all of that stuff, you don't have to bring a bull to a place because a sacrifice has been made. And now God's waving you home. Come on, this is what he says. So I'm going to pray, remind you that you are God's temple. If you put your trust in Jesus, you are God's temple. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear me say, God wants you, man. He's waving you home. And if we're going to have a song of response, I'll be back to close this with a couple of announcements. But I just want to give you that image to say, man, take a moment and just be embraced by that kind of God. There's a process laid out that is true, but God has led the way by His Son, and now He's waving us home. So let me pray for us. You can have a moment to respond however you feel like you need to. Um, Father, thanks for this word here, and I pray every person here and every person watching online that you you would be close in this sense. Well, we know that you're close, closer than our next breath, but you would be close in this sense. Like there would be something that stirs in them because of what you've said here. We don't have to make sacrifices. You've made them. We don't have to wash ourselves. We've been washed. So may the word and prayer and the spirit be active to fulfill everything you want. That's what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.